Hey everybody, I hope you're doing well. God bless you today. Those who are in the congregation and those who are watching online, those who are traveling, I hope you're having a great time. And just want to say God bless you to those who are watching around uh, our country and around the world. Uh, we were going to be outside filming today, but the weather was uncooperative, so here we are. But this uh, this message is really one on my uh, on my heart. I, I couldn't wait to do this one because I, I literally woke up one morning with this whole message on my heart, and I sat down and I did this whole message in in one sitting. It was almost like a dictation. So there's something you need to hear. There's something I need to hear. There's something we need to hear, and I really pray that this is a blessing for all of us. I mentioned in an earlier message that in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, the Bible tells us that 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Jesus. So that's, that's 500 people, but then the Bible also tells us that only 120 were in the upper room when Jesus told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's 120 out of 500. Uh, that's, that's like 24%. Those are not good odds. And I really believe that is representative of the, the people, the difference between people who are just kind of around Jesus and those who are pressing in that want more and everything that God has to give them. I asked each of you to ponder this question. If that was me, if I was alive in that day, would I be one of the 380 plus people that saw the resurrection but just you know, didn't make that much of a difference? Or would I be the one of the 120 that would press in, that would be in that upper room waiting for what Jesus had for me? That small percentage of people pressing in is a common theme in Scripture. And we're going to rifle by a lot of stories or several stories. And here's what I want you to focus on. I want you to focus on the number of people that there are involved in the story, but how few people are actually pressing in for more of God. The first person I want to talk about is an unnamed lady who will not be denied. And this is found in Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 24. It says this, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So I want you to imagine this. Here is a lady who has been sick for 12 years. That is so easy for us just to read and go by. But she has been bleeding for over 4,000 days. Can you imagine how weak she is? Can you imagine how, how sick she feels? And then not only that, but, uh, but she was also impoverished. She had spent everything she had, all of her money, on trying to get well. And she not only wasn't getting well, she was, she was getting worse. And not only that, but she was also an outcast. Her disease, her sickness made her an outcast. Because in those days, if you had a continual flow of blood, you were declared to be unclean. That means you couldn't hang around people. You couldn't be around other people because they would become unclean as well. And yet she, here she is around other people. She's, she's around that. And it shows a few things. It shows her desperation. It shows her determination. And it also shows her faith. Continuing in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, don't miss that word, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Can you imagine this throng around Jesus that's, that's crowding around him and, and she's, excuse me, excuse me, and she's, she's going through the crowd and going through the crowd and getting closer and closer and then she's reaching out and with one last desperate, desperate lunge, she touches the hem of his garment. 
that can picture, I want you to picture her face when all of a sudden she realizes she's completely healed. For the first time in 12 years, she is free from her infirmity. And then it goes on, it says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He had turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Don't miss that. There is a huge difference between people crowding around Jesus and people pressing in to touch him and be touched by him. But Jesus heard, uh, kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened uh, to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Her hope probably was just as soon as that happened, just to melt into the crowd. But instead, Jesus calls her out in front of everybody. Why would Jesus do that? Was it to embarrass her? Why would Jesus make her stand in front of everybody and, and do that? Maybe it was because he didn't want just to be her, her healer. He wanted to be her savior, her Lord, and her friend. Maybe it was because he didn't want just her to experience his power. He wanted her to experience him and his love. The Bible said she was trembling with fear. She was probably expecting Jesus to turn around and rebuke her, but instead he turns around and he, and, and he basically says, way to go, sister, way to go. That's what I'm talking about. And the beautiful thing is I can't think of, of one time in Scripture where, where Jesus rebuked audacious and bodacious faith. I cannot think of one time. I can think of many times he rebuked lack of faith. In fact, not only did he, did he never rebuke bodacious faith, he applauded it every single time that I can think of in Scripture. I want you to consider the number. There were hundreds of people, hundreds of them, that were crowding around Jesus that day, but there was only one that we have an account of that was really pressing in. And I ask you the question again, each of us that question is, if we were, were there, would we be one of the ones that were just crowding around or would we be that lady pressing in for the miracle, pressing in for what everything that God had to, to give us? Because understand this, God has this story in, the, in his word, not because it's just a really neat story. He has something that he wants to tell us. He wants to teach us in this. And let me ask you this question. Where do you need a miracle right now in your life? Where do you need a miracle? And also this, what's your impossible situation? What's the impossible situation? Because I believe for that miracle and for that impossible situation, Jesus is giving us an invitation to press in and find it today. The second person I want to examine today is an unnamed man who returned. Like I said, we don't know his name. We do know that he wasn't from, uh, from Israel. But we do know something about him. He had leprosy. Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and praise God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. 
It says 10 men who had leprosy. Again, it's so easy for us to hear that word leprosy, and it doesn't, doesn't send shivers in our spine like it, like it would to people in those days. For those uh, living there, it was like the word cancer, or it was like the word AIDS, or it was like the word Alzheimer, something that just shook them. And it was an incredibly uh, contagious disease. We call it Hansen's disease today, and there's not a whole lot of cases of leprosy, but Hansen's disease is a, a disease that affects the nerve endings, and it makes it where you can't feel things, and so you could have a, an infection and not know it. You could step on something and not know it. You could be bit by something and, and not know it, and it's a, a degenerative disease of the tissues and you have digits that fall off and limbs that fall off as a result of that. So they were also unclean and that means they had to live in colonies. They had to live away from their, their families and friends and, and, and jobs and everything like that. In fact, listen to this. It says, they stood at a, loud di- at a distance and called in a loud voice. Lepers weren't allowed to be near people. Uh, in fact, they had to be 50 yards upwind and shout, unclean, 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 when anybody came by. Can you imagine what that would do to your self-esteem? And you know what that meant? That meant these men had not seen or they had not been able to hold their children for months and probably even years. That meant they've not been able to, to talk to and, and hold and, and, and caress their, uh, their wives. They'd not been able to hold down a job. They had lived in isolation for weeks, months, or even years of their life. But for this one moment, they had hope. They had heard about this man named Jesus who not only healed people, he healed lepers. And they, they came to Jesus, and, and a lot of times Jesus would touch a leper. But in this case, he simply said, go show yourself to the priests. Now, the background for that is in Leviticus 14, that uh, if, if somebody felt that they were cured from leprosy, they would go and show themselves to the priest, and the priest would either say, no, you're not cleansed of the leprosy, or yes, you are cleansed from the leprosy. And do you see something strange that happened here? Jesus is telling them to go and show themselves to the priest before they're healed of the leprosy. So in other words, this took faith. It was, the Bible says it was while they were on their way that they were healed. So can you imagine as they're walking along and they're still chock full of leprosy and, and what would you, you know, what would you be conversing with the person next to you? I'd be going, uh, guys, uh, if you know, something doesn't happen pretty quick, we're going to look pretty stupid when we go in front of that priest. As they went, they were healed. So many times in scripture, God tells us to take a step of faith and then and only then does he show up in a, in a big way. In other words, it would be like, uh, God, you show us the, you know, you show us the fish and I'll make sure that we launch out in the deep. And God says, no, no, no. You launch out in the deep. You put your nets on the other side. Then I'll show you the fish. Or he said, you know, God, if you, you know, if you part the, the Jordan River, then we'll take a step into it. And God says, no, I want you to take a step in the floodwaters of the Jordan River and then I'll part it. But don't we do that a lot of times? We say, God, if you, you know, make it sure that I'm, uh, that, that I, I can really be effective and powerful in the ministry and then I'll, I'll be involved in that ministry. And God says, no, you be involved in the ministry and then I'll show you what I can do through you. And maybe we're saying, God, you know, if, if you, if you give me all the words to say, then I'll, then I'll, I'll teach the class, then I'll do things like that. And God says, no, no, no. You teach the class. You open your mouth and then I'll fill it. 
And so many times we say, say, God, you know, you, you pour out the windows of heaven and, and bless me financially, and then I'll make sure that I tithe. And God says, no, 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 you tithe first, and then I'll open the floodgates of heaven. God, time and time again says, you take the first step, you prime the pump, and then I'll show up in a big way. Can you imagine what it was like, the look on their faces when they realized that they were healed? I want, I want to watch a YouTube of this sometime when I get into heaven. They're walking along, and all of a sudden, Mike says, Sam, look at this, man. Dude, you've got toes. You've got toes. And he's pointing at it, and then, then he says, look, you're pointing. you got a finger. And so they give each other high fives when before they were just giving each other high twos or something like that. I don't know. But then, you know, in a lot of ways, um, these guys were uh, a lot alike. Think of that. They were very similar. All 10 of these guys were so similar in many ways. They all had leprosy. They all believed that Jesus could heal them. They all went to Jesus for the healing. They all took Jesus at his word when he said, go show yourself to the priest. And they were all healed of leprosy. But that's where they, the similarities are completely different. Because now one of these things, one of these people are not like the other. He responds, one guy responds in such a different way that God thinks it's so important that he's going to show it in his eternal word. And here it is in verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Uh, all ten of them were, were healed, and I bet you that all ten of them were really, really glad and really, really happy that they were healed, but only one of them, only one of them took the time and the effort to, to, to go back and thank God for his healing. Jesus asked, were not all tens cleansed? Then where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. How do you think that made Jesus feel when he saw this man running back, praising him, praising him for what he had done and and grabbing his feet, being at his feet and just saying, thank you, 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 Jesus. Thank you for what you did for me. Can you imagine the smile? Can you just picture the smile on Jesus' face? But can you see that smile turn when all of a sudden he's looking around and he realizes this is the only one of the ten that came back to to thank him? Do you realize uh, this is a sobering thought that that we can either bring a smile to God's face, so to speak, or we can bring uh, even maybe even pain by whether we're grateful or, or, or not. And I don't know about you, but this guy really hits me. Because I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this. Pray for me because I'm not like this guy yet. There's so much more complaining in my mouth some of the times or in my heart than there is than there is thanksgiving. I want there to be so much thanksgiving. I want to thank God for every time he does something for me that I stop at that moment and give him thanks. I want to be the one that returns. I want to be every time there's good news. I want to be every time that God does something that, that every day I take time to, to recount what God has done, the blessings of God and the goodness of God that day in my life. The next group of people that I want to talk about are two guys who believed. The background for this was the children of Israel were just about to go into the promised land. So Moses had 12 guys, one from each tribe, to go into the promised land for 40 days and spy it out. And they were that meant they were traveling about two to three hundred miles to take a look at that. And they came back with, first of all, they came, this is like the first Holy Land tour, right? But they, they came back with souvenirs. They came back with fruits of the, of the land, some, what the, the land produced. And one, of it, one cluster of grapes was so big that it took two guys to, to carry it. But they also came back with a report of the, from the land. 
And that's where things that's where things differ. Don't miss all 12 of the guys saw the exact same thing with their eyes, but 10 of them saw a completely different thing, responded to what they saw completely different from the other two. Ten of the guys, they, they were watching this land. They were seeing the land through the eyes of fear. And two of the guys were seeing this land through the eyes of faith. Ten of the guys gave this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit. But there's some people that there will always be a but. In other words, it's kind of like this. The land was awesome, just like God, just like you said it was, God. But... Lord, we'd love to obey you. We'd love to obey you and trust you and receive you and receive all the blessings that you have. But, you know, there's these people. There's this situation. There's these obstacles. There's these problems. We'd love to receive all the blessings that you have. But, 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 but. And you and I have buts too sometimes in our life. Sometimes we give God a reason why he can't use us. Why he, why, why we can't receive the blessing. Why we can't enter the promised land. And that's the thing we have to understand too. Is every time we say a but, it's keeping us from receiving a blessing that God has for us. Ten of the spies came up with a laundry list of why they couldn't make it to the land. Here's the first one. All of the people were of great size. All of the people were of great size. Seriously. I mean, is that really what they believed? They believed the little girls were of great size. The little, the little babies were of great size. But that is what fear can do to us. It can blow everything out of proportion, can't it? The second thing is the land we explored devours those living in it. All right, let me get this straight. You were walking along and you saw a rock come up and just start munching on somebody and devouring them. Is that what you're telling me? And isn't that true? Have you, have you ever had that happen where fear caused you to, to the, the, the problem looked like it was going to devour you, like it was just out of control? And then you realize, you look back and you realize, no, it was just a rock. How about this one? Verse, uh, verse 33, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own sight. I mean, fear has a devastating way of consequences on our self-image, doesn't it? Here they were, children of the living God, and yet all they could see themselves was as insects. And how about this one? Verse, the fourth one was, we looked like grasshoppers to them too. How, how did they know that? Did they come up and go, hey, what do we look like to you? Grasshoppers. Yeah, that's what I thought. See, that's what I was telling. We look like grasshoppers. We can get so out of proportion when it comes to, to fear. And that's what we realize, that fear kept them, the Israelites, from obeying God, inheriting the promised land, and receiving God's blessing. And fear, what it does is it blows all our problems and obstacles out of proportion. It belittles us and focuses our attention on the problems rather than the promise that God has for us. Contrast those 10 with the other two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Here's Caleb's attitude in verse 30. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Joshua and Caleb together in, in chapter 14, verse 9 said, we will swallow them up. Isn't that completely different from what the other guys said? The other guys said, our problems are going to swallow us up. And Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 no. With God on our side, we're going to have our problems for breakfast. Notice something. Joshua and Caleb never denied the facts. They never said there weren't any problems or obstacles that they were going to be facing. They never said there are no fortified cities out there. They never said there are not going to be, there aren't people of great size. What they realized is that God was, was stronger than any fortification and he was bigger than any giant that was going to be out there. And maybe it was because of this. Maybe they just believed the promise of God. 
Because I believe it was in Exodus 23, 23, where God said, I'm going to send your angels ahead of you and you're going to possess the land. Maybe they remembered the word of God. Or maybe they just put two and two together and said, you know, the same God that delivered us from the Egyptians through incredible miracles, the same God that provided for us in the wilderness, the same God that parted a sea and, and, and drowned the Egyptian army, maybe that same God can take care of us today. Their faith and their remembrance of what God did propelled them to believe God for great things. What was the result of everybody's faith or lack of faith? For the 10 guys they, who gave the bad report, they died of a plague. God gave a plague in their life, and, and they were the ones that said, we're never going to make it to the promised land. And guess what? They never made it to the promised land. And the two guys that said, we can make it into the promised land, were the only two people in their generation that made it into the promised land that God had intended for, for everybody. The Bible tells us why. Numbers 14.24 but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. Caleb, the Bible says, had a different spirit. He had a spirit that believed God, that trusted God for the difficult, that God, trusted God for the impossible. And not only was he blessed because of it, he was able to receive his inheritance because of it that God had. Even his descendants were blessed because of Caleb's faith. I don't know about you, but I too, I want a different spirit. I want a spirit that trusts God in the difficult times. I want a God that trusts God even when there's obstacles and even when there's problems in the way. I want to, I want to trust God so much that, that I receive the inheritance and the promised land that God has for me. And not only that I receive it, but it's a blessing to all those in my life, to my descendants, to my, to my wife, to my kids, to, to this church, to anybody around me that, that, that I trust God so much it affects my life and it pours into the lives of others. That's what I want. I could go on and on with this principle. For instance, there were 12 disciples, but only three, Peter, James, and John, were there when Jesus was transfigured and, and saw many of his miracles. Now, why was that? Jesus loved all 12 of them, but it seems to me that there were three that were pressing in to a greater degree than the others, than the others were. And take a look. Look at this, the whole thing. 500 people saw the resurrection, but only 120 were there on the day of, of Pentecost. There were, there were hundreds gathered around, crowding around Jesus that day, but there was only one lady pressing in for her miracle. There were 10 people, that the 10 lepers that were, that were healed of leprosy, but only one came back to, to thank him. There were 12 apostles, but there were only, only three that really saw a lot of the miracles. There were, there were, there were 12 spies that, that saw this incredible land, the promised land that God had for them, but there were only two that believed God could take them into the, the land. So what's the message? I think God's trying to tell us that in most circumstances, in most places, even in most churches, in most lives, there's going to be, a, there's going to be some people. There's going to be some people who, who, who believe God for the miracle, who press in for the miracle, but the majority won't. There's going to be some people who, who, who want to encounter the Holy Spirit in all His, in all His goodness, but the majority of the people, they, they won't. There's going to be some people who return to thank God for all the blessings that God has for them, but the majority of the people won't. There's going to be some people who trust God in the midst of the difficulty, and there's the majority of the people really won't. And you know what I want for us? I want this to be a church where it's totally different. 
that there's most people, that the vast majority are believing God and trusting God and thanking God and pressing into God, and there's just a few that aren't doing that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just encounter the risen Christ. I also want to experience His Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, I don't want to just be one of the ones that crowd around Jesus. I want to be the one that's pressing in for my miracle, contending for every blessing that God has for me. I don't know about you, I don't want to be somebody who just receives the blessings of God. I want to be the one that goes back and says, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. And I want to be the one that brings a smile to Jesus' face for, for my gratitude in my, in my heart, for expressing the gratitude in my heart. I want to be the, the ones that, 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 that believe God in the midst of, of a challenging situation. I want to trust God for the impossible. I want to trust God that he's going to come through in the midst of difficulty. I want to be the guy who, 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 who experiences the promised land, who, 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 who grabs his inheritance and has that for all the, the people around him. I don't want to be one of the people who, who, who see the giants and shrink back in fear. I want to be... I want to be the person that presses in because I believe God's promises. I believe God's word and I believe that God can see us to the other side. I want to be the person who's pressing in and receives all that God has for him. How about you?